0: All right, well, I'd like to uh, kick off our new new message series that we're we're launching today with a big question. Are you ready for it? All right, big question. The question is, who are the two most important people to have ever lived in all of human history? Two most important people. Go. Jesus. Okay, even if you're new, that's a layup this morning, right? All right. Most important person to have ever lived in all of human history, Jesus. All right, now think about it. Second most important person to have lived in all of human history. I heard Paul, what else we got? Huh? Mary. Mary, any any other guesses? We got some good answers. So I was getting a haircut a couple of weeks ago, I was working on this message, talking to my barber about the message I was creating. So I thought I'd test this question out on him. So his answer was Jesus and his mom. To which I said, good answer, but I don't think your wife would be happy. (laughs) I also said, and she's sure to find out. He said, I think she will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I heard it out there. The second most important person in all of human history is a guy named Adam. First man of creation, someone we can read about in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In fact, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, a follower of Jesus, talks about Adam as the first Adam and Jesus as the last Adam. So Jesus, our savior, but without Adam, we're not here, right? That's why he's the second most important person. And what we're gonna discover today is that we all belong to one of two categories. Either we are in Adam or we are in Christ. Everyone in the world belongs into one of those two categories. That's it. Either we are living under the effects of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, or we're living as a part of our new creation in Christ. We're one or the other. And so as we kick off our new series today from the New Testament book of Ephesians, we're seeking to answer the question, who are you? Who are you? That is the most important question you can answer in all of life. So we're going to seek to answer that question. Of, of which group do you belong? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you have your Bible with you today. Uh, we say that because we want you in God's Word. And not just today, but every day. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's gonna be a Bible underneath a chair in front of you. You're welcome to use that today. Uh, You're welcome to take it home with you if you don't have a Bible at home. Feel free to take that one. Uh, But I'm gonna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to the New Testament book of Ephesians today. If you're new to the Bible, the front part is Old Testament, Old Covenant. Later on, we get New Testament, New Covenant. So we're in the New Testament part of the book. Matthew, Mark, keep going. Luke, spent three years there. You should know where that one is, right? John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, keep going. Galatians, then Ephesians. So that's where we're going today. If you got to Philippians or Colossians, you went too far. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we are just covering one verse today. Ephesians chapter one, verse one. And no, that doesn't mean it's a five minute message today. (laughs) Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They are in Christ Jesus, that's so important. That's what we wanna spend our time on today. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So who am I? It's a question that seems to get asked by many. I would imagine we've all asked that question at some point or another. We, we actually wind up not asking that question just once, but oftentimes throughout life. And there's a reason for that, because we have a condition, we are continually forgetting who we are in Christ. And we're filling that void by placing our identity in pretty much anything else that we can. How we see ourselves, that's our identity. So as we talk about identity, it's how we see ourselves. It's what our culture would say is self uh, image or self esteem. And as a pastor, I'm convinced having a correct view on who you are can change everything in your life. It really can. Having counseled people, dealing with alcoholism, pride, depression, anger, sexual perversion, bitterness, and and all kinds of things, what I have found is behind most of our struggles in life, it all relates to the issue of our identity. Most of it does. The world's fundamental problem is we don't understand who we are. Children of God, made in his image. And so we wind up defining ourselves by all kinds of things. We need to understand this morning that we are not what has been done to us, but instead we are what Jesus has done for us. This is so important this morning. You need to understand, you are not what has been done to you. Instead, you are what Jesus has done for you. That's what's important today. What we do does not determine who we are. Instead, who we are in Christ should determine what we do. It's kind of the opposite of what we think. So let's go ahead this morning and start by answering the question, who am I? Who are you? How would you answer the question, I am, and then fill in the blank. How would you answer it? I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm young, I'm advanced in years, I'm a good student, not a good student, I'm loved, I'm hated, I'm single, I'm married, I'm divorced, I'm successful, I'm a failure, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeless. Who are you? How do you see yourself? These are important questions because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. If you don't know who you are, life is chaotic, hopelessness can set in, and your ability to endure in life, it decreases. So we're gonna actually spend until the beginning of February, working through the book of Ephesians, answering this question, who are you? It's kind of a nice thread through the entire book. And this is so important, because if you don't know who you are, you'll wind up influenced by all kinds of things, all kinds of things, because others are happy to answer this question for you. In fact, it started when you were little, were you firstborn, The middle child? Are you the baby? Were you the funny kid? The chubby kid? The athletic kid? The nerdy kid? Who were you? What names did others give you? What, what nicknames did others give you? So when I was growing up in, in an elementary school, uh, so my name, Zach or Zachary, was not very common. It's kind of interesting, though, that you guys have two pastors. So children's pastor, Pastor Zach Rainey, in the lead pastor. But that name wasn't very common, kind of in my age bracket. Now, it has been, you know, increasingly more and more common. But at the time that I was growing up, it wasn't. In fact, we were living in a smaller town in North Dakota, and I was the only Zach in the whole town. Now, North Dakota, small town, but still, the only (laughs) Zach in the whole town. And unfortunately, when I was in elementary school, they came out with this commercial about Zach, the Legomaniac. So what nickname do you think I got? Look it up on YouTube, there's a nice little jingle. I'm not gonna sing it for you this morning. Mostly because I don't want you to repeat it later. (laughs) I like Legos, but I wasn't looking for a nickname out of it. What did your parents call you as a kid? What did your friends call you? How did they see you? And how did you see yourself as a child? And then what happens is you move beyond your your childhood years, you get into your teen years, and identity becomes a little bit more complicated. There's new relationships, there's new responsibilities, new coaches and teachers in your life, and all sorts of people providing you input on who they'd like you to be. Clothes become sometimes more important. Combing your hair might become a priority. And I say might, (laughs) because I have boys. but teens do start asking themselves questions. Like, am I a part of the crowd that I wanna be a part of, or am I standing on the outside of it? Identity. And people hit college years, and, and many feel like it's an opportunity now to reinvent themselves. They go away from family, from friends, maybe from their church and community, and the impression is, well, I kinda maybe get a fresh start now. So a lot of college students consider how they want to present themselves, maybe the clothes or the lifestyle that they'd like to now lead. Will I, and asking questions, will I go to church or will I not go to church? Will I drink or not drink? Will I sleep around or or not sleep around? Will I join a fraternity, sorority, or some other group? What degree will I pursue? Who will I be? Lots of things that sometimes people do to try to figure out who they think they are. People graduate from college and now they're facing adulthood head on. And they're saying, now I'm supposed to be an adult? And a lot of people aren't prepared for that responsibility. So much so in the world that we live in, there's now a word for it. Does anybody know it? Adulting. It's a verb. That's interesting. Why? Because people grapple with, will I get a job? Where will I work? Will I make enough money? What will I drive? How will I pay my bills? Will I be in a relationship? Am I gonna be single forever? And some people, they go on to get married. And, and now a person's identity is really complicated. People think they're going to get married so another person can help them become who they want to be. And the other person is thinking the same thing. And suddenly, two selfish people with separate identities, they collide, and they get to work wonderful things out. We call that marriage. We also call that sanctification Helping you become more like Jesus. It's an awesome opportunity. (laughs) You know, when I do weddings though, when I I perform those wedding ceremonies, oftentimes I will tell a husband, I'm just upfront to say, look, the longer your spouse is married to you, they should more and more feel like they're married to Jesus. And then the husband passes out, you know? It's. (laughs) It's a tall order, but it's true. It really is. And then some people, after, you know, getting married, they're going to have children. And then identities really get adjusted. All of a sudden, you're not just a spouse. You're not just a husband. You're a dad. Women become moms. And, and there's this greater weight of responsibility. Little people called kids, better known as terrorists. They take over your life. <laughs> They determine when you eat, when you go to the bathroom, when you sleep. They determine how money is spent, how vacations are planned, how life is organized. Hobbies, friendships, free time, they're all adjusted. And all of these things that previously defined your life before kids, who you were and what you were doing, now it's kind of gone. They're altered or affected in some way. Yet at the same time, it's awesome to be a dad, you know? So let me say that. They're fun terrorists. (laughs) But you know what's so interesting is, is you move through life, if you're not careful, you attach your identity to different things all along the way. You really do. And so then what happens is, is now all of a sudden your kids are getting older. And all of a sudden, they don't need you like they used to. You know, you got moms, what do you mean you don't need me, right? Dads are like, praise God you don't need me, you know? (laughs) But what happens is they move away from home and now your identity is altered again. Who am I, you start asking again. All of a sudden, you like your kids are gone and you realize you have a spouse again. You're like, who are you? And wives look across the table and they're like, what happened to your hair? <laughs> but you know, sometimes, sadly, it becomes Why do we try? We used to try to hold our marriage together, to make money, to be in church for the sake of our children. That's a wrong identity, because now they're gone. Who are we and what have we really been doing all these years? Maybe you're widowed, you're alone, your spouse is deceased, your children have grown up and they've moved away. And so today there could be all sorts of reasons for your identity to be in total crisis today. Maybe it's in conflict or chaos, whether you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, adult, or advanced in years. It really doesn't matter the category this morning because our identity is constantly shifting and changing if we've attached it to things of this world. But we want to do something more than that this morning. We want to attach our identity to who God says we are. So we can say who we are and define it in so many ways according to the world in which we live. But we have this opportunity this morning to instead of saying, who am I? And let me self-define it. Now we can say, God, who do you say? That I am. That's the right question this morning. Who does God say that you are? That's what we want to know this morning. And so to answer that question, we actually need to go all the way back to creation. And here's what we find in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. This is where we get our identity. It's the beginning of it. Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us. And so there's this allusion to the Trinity right at the start. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, let us make man, that's men and women, in our image after our likeness. That is identity language. Who are you? God said, I've made you in my image, in my likeness. That's who you are. That's powerful language, and the scripture continues, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And I love that it says, God created them, and he blessed them. He created them, and he blessed them. From creation, we've been made in the image of God, blessed by him to live lives of intimacy and influence. That's what we were created for. Intimacy, being fruitful and multiplying, to have a close relationship with God and with others. That's what we've been created for. That's who we are. And then we've been created to have God-given influence in life. And as we live out our true identity as sons and daughters of God, we live blessed lives in Him. So living in God's identity is blessed. Living outside of that identity is not. And so we wanna live in the right identity today. It's when we don't live within our God-given identities, we get in trouble. We face hardship. Intimacy is tainted. Our relationships are strained. We feel disconnected and alone. Even when we're near others, this can happen. Or our influence is diminished, or or the power that we've been granted, it gets misused. And so then the question becomes, will we live up to our God-given potential in him, or will we defer to our fallen state? Which one will we do? Or maybe this morning we could more pointedly ask, are we in Adam, or are we in Christ? That's what we're asking today. And maybe you're wondering what I mean by that statement. And really it goes back now to, to Genesis chapter three. We find in Genesis chapter one, who God says we are, but then we move ahead to Genesis chapter three, where we find who Satan thinks God is and who he thinks we are. So up front, I want to tell you that we believe there's a devil and we believe there are demons. Yeah. If you don't believe there's a devil and demons, you're going to have a hard time explaining the world. You'll find it impossible to explain all the evil, injustice, lies, abuse, and darkness that exists in our world today without having something behind it who's harming people. And that something behind it is a someone, it's Satan. It is. So to be clear, Satan though, he's not a God, praise God. He's a created being under God who rebelled against God. Satan was an angel who according to scripture was dissatisfied with his identity, which tells me we need to be careful if we get dissatisfied with our own identities, right? And God, bad things happen. Satan's identity was under God for service of God because angels are messengers of God and ministers of God. And, And scripture tells us Satan was an angel who became proud in his heart. He didn't want to be under God. He wanted to be alongside God or over God. He didn't want to obey God, he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. Satan wanted a new identity, so he rebelled. And his work on the world is first recorded in Genesis chapter three, with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Scripture repeatedly tells us that Satan is a liar, deceiver, and a killer. That's who Satan is, that's his identity. And let's see what he says in Genesis verse one. Now the serpent, So a serpent is a symbol for Satan. We see this in other passages of the Bible. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? The first thing Satan does is question the authority of the word of God. That's the first thing he does. And this deception continues today. Satan is always going to call into question the authority of God's word in our lives. That's what he does. Just as Satan came to our first parents, he's gonna come to you and to me. And whatever destruction he's intended for our lives, so let me be clear, Satan intends destruction. That's what he intends. It begins with him trying to erode our confidence and the truthfulness and helpfulness of the word of God. That's the first thing he does. So if you have encountered that, it's because Satan is behind it. And this can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes you'll read authors who erode your confidence in the scriptures. You might have a teacher or professor, a parent or family member or a friend who tries to influence you in negative ways, encouraging you to disregard the word of God. That's how Satan starts. And it really doesn't matter the source. Just know that Satan is the one behind it. He's been doing it since the dawn of time. It's not new. So Satan continues his conversation with Adam and Eve. He says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's identity language. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan shows up and says, Adam and Eve, I have a way for you to be like God or to be God yourself. That's really what he's wanting to import. You see the temptation of pride there? What did God already say? back in Genesis chapter one. I want you to compare these two things. I think we kind of missed this gap. Yeah. Let us make them in our image and likeness. So Satan says, here's a way for you to be like God, but God says, I already made you like me. Yeah. Yeah. He already did it. Yeah. And so then it's interesting as I look at this passage to realize we don't know the span of time between when God speaks this over Adam and Eve and to when Satan comes and tempts them but it was long enough for them to forget who they were. They were already made in the image of God, already made in his likeness. And when we forget our identity in God, things don't go well. It didn't go well for Adam and Eve and it doesn't go well for us today. The time between them receiving their identity in God and Satan coming to tempt them was long enough for them to doubt that they could be given their identity instead of them having to achieve their identity. So let me tell you something this morning. Our identity in life, it cannot be achieved. It has to be received. It cannot be achieved. It can only be received. And it can't be received from anyone but our creator. No one. I know I've shared before that we regularly tell our kids, we ask them this question. Who are you? Haley, so this is our daughter, she knows the answer. Child of God. We need to be firm in our identities this morning. So you get to be my kids this morning. Everybody stand up. We need to do some identity statements today. So if I ask the question, who are you? You need to declare, I am a child of God. So who are you? And I want to take that one step further because in scripture it says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So when I ask who are you, you can say I'm a child of God in whom the spirit of God dwells. That's powerful. So who are you? Man, if we would live that. And I'm gonna add one more part. So there's three parts. I'm a child of God in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and my kids know the second question. It's where do you live? And she knows the answer is in His unshakable kingdom. So that when pandemics come, we're not afraid. So that when illness attacks our bodies, we don't fear. Because we live in His unshakable kingdom. So when I say who are you, it's I. I am a child of God in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and I live in his unshakable kingdom. So, who are you? I'm, the child of God. The of God. Man. I'm telling you what, if you get that, nothing can touch you in life. Nothing can touch you in life. And so, then when you've got a boss who demeans you, you remember only my Creator gets to tell me who I am. Yeah. You walk out of that, not shaken, because you understand, no matter what, you've got a parent who's been speaking negative things over your life for a lifetime, and you realize that is not who I am. Only my creator gets to determine who I am. So no matter who is trying to speak over your life or the circumstances that come in the way, you know I'm a child of God in whom the spirit of God dwells, and I live in his unshakable kingdom, and nothing can stop that. I invite you back to be seated again. Satan wants to tell you, your identity must be achieved, but in the end, it can only be received by God, only received by him. So here's the truth. God made us in his likeness. This is our true identity, but Satan and people influenced by him, that boss that wants to demean you, that parent who wants to speak negative things over your life, they lie to us about who we are in order to fulfill their plans. And here's the lie, that we will be like God if we'll base our identity upon someone or something else other than God and his grace. That's the lie. Adam and Eve fell for it. Rather than simply believing, they were already like God because God made them in his likeness. Our first parents disbelieved God. And I bet some of you this morning, you stood up and you may have recited that, but you still disbelieve God but I want to encourage you this morning, believe God. You were created by him. We preached a couple of weeks ago, he was watching you in your mother's womb. That's your creator. We can't disbelieve what God says because what happened for Adam and Eve is the result of their disbelief. Sin and evil enters the world. We've been living with an identity crisis ever since that time seeking to construct our own identities, forgetting about the one that God has already given us. And so then Jesus comes to show us who we are. I love that about our Savior. This is what happens to Jesus at his baptism. He's coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And then God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. That was an identity statement for the whole world to hear. And one of the reasons Jesus was able to resist temptation listen to this this morning, the reason he was able to resist temptation, to overcome frustration and to endure suffering, because he kept coming back to who He was. Yeah. Yeah. a Son of God, a son of the living God. He could go through all of life with that one firm identity. Yeah. This is so important for us this morning, because to be a follower of Jesus is not to live a life that's pain or suffering free. We won't in this world. Jesus said it. He was honest. He's an honest savior. We won't live a life that's pain or suffering free. But if our identity is in Christ, we can be pain and suffering proof. That's the truth. We won't be pain and suffering free, but we can be pain and suffering proof. But the important thing is, we have to be in Christ. We have to be in Christ. No matter how you would label yourself, as black or white, as healthy or sickly, as Republican or Democrat, as wealthy or poor, it doesn't really matter because the fact is there's really only two categories for human beings. Either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. You are in Adam or you're in Christ. This is how God sees all of humans and all of human history. And this is incredibly important because our identities and our eternal destinies hang in the balance of whether we are in Adam or we are in Christ. Yeah, because we are born into Adam as sinners. And then we have this incredible opportunity to be born again in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Here's how Paul sees this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as by a man came death, that's Adam. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. For as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all should be made alive. So we are all born in Adam. We all inherit from him an evil nature. We all inherit from him separation from God. And so we must be born again. We might be physically alive, but we're spiritually dead in God. So we need to be made spiritually alive in God, born again in Christ. All of us. And this becomes the foundation of our identity. Scripture speaks of believers being in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, 216 times. You know how many times it says we're Christians? Like three. Three. So if it says in Christ 216 times, how much more important is that identity than anything else? It's that identity that matters. And anything that's repeated 216 times, number one, it's important. Number two... It means we must forget. And so we've got to be told over and over and over again who we are in Christ. So, what does it mean that we're in Christ? We've talked about the statement, but what does it mean that we're in Christ? We need to understand that. Number one, it means Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place at the cross. Jesus traded places with us. Being in Christ means we are in Christ's position and he is in ours. He suffered and died so that we might be blessed and live. We are loved as Christ is loved by the Father. Being in that position, isn't that incredible? We are embraced and adored as Christ is embraced and adored by God the Father. When we live in this identity in Christ, we are freed from shame and condemnation because we all know that evil was taken care of by Christ on the cross and we're in him. To be in Christ means that Christ took our place. Mm. And to be in Christ means he is the one who sustains us and makes our life meaningful. Being in Christ means he was in our position, we're in his, but it also means that he sustains us and makes our life meaningful. Before Paul writes about being in Christ, Jesus first talks about it. So that's not original to Paul, Jesus said it, and then Paul runs with it because he realized the power of it. He talks about it in John chapter 15. Jesus, in his final meal with the disciples, he shares with his closest followers, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing we are the branches. Jesus is the trunk. That's what he's saying. We are in Jesus, the one who makes our life meaningful and fruitful. But what's so important to understand is we are the branches and not the trunk. We are not the essential ones who others cannot live without. Sometimes we think that, right? I don't want to break it to you as your pastor, but others can live without you. But we are so glad that you're here. (laughs) We are not independent unto ourselves where we can nourish and sustain our own lives. That's what that means. We are the branches, Jesus is the trunk. When you leave here today and you see a tree, remind yourself, I'm the branch, Jesus is the trunk. It's a good visual daily. This language of I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me. This is language of relationship and affection. Jesus is a person, not a concept. He is alive, he's not dead. He speaks to us through scripture and the leading of his Holy Spirit. He hears us through our prayers. Jesus wants a relationship with us, a personal and loving friendship. And as we grow in that relationship, as we abide in him, it says, we wind up living fruitful lives. It's the promise, but without him, we accomplish nothing, Jesus says. And I know some might say, well, I can do a lot of things. That's great, but in God's sight, in the end, it's really nothing of real value without Jesus. The illusion can be we're accomplishing a lot of things in this world, but ultimately, eternally, when we stand before Jesus to give an account for the life that we've lived, which we all will do. Everything that's not been done in Jesus for the advancement of his kingdom will amount to nothing, Jesus says. Nothing. Which means we can wind up, especially in our culture, I want to say this this morning, we can wind up wasting our lives. So what Jesus is saying here, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And this happens, the way that we waste our lives is if we're living in Adam. But if we're living in Christ and he's living in us, our life is an overflow of Jesus working in and through us, making our lives meaningful and fruitful in Adam or in Christ. Our call in Christ is to be faithful and the promise of Jesus is he then makes us fruitful. We busy our lives trying to be fruitful and Jesus says, just abide in me and I'll take care of that for you. I'll do it. So what does it mean to be in Christ? It means Jesus took our place, praise God. It also means that Jesus is the one who sustains us and he makes our life meaningful. And the last part of being in Christ, it means he is the very essence of our life. Our hopes, our future, our joys, our power are all in Christ. And when we don't live this way, we either become arrogant, trying to be the trunk, or we become discouraged, knowing ultimately we can't change our lives. We can't do everything we're supposed to do or be all that we're supposed to be. So either we become arrogant or we become discouraged. But in Christ, we can walk in great humility and grace. When we live out our identity in Christ, suddenly our hope is now in Him, our power is flowing from Him, and our fruitfulness is coming from Him, which gives us both incredible courage and great humility. Both of those things. You realize, I can change by the grace of God, with God's help. I can live a life of meaning and purpose. In Jesus, I can make an eternal difference with my life. Those are all the things you get to realize. So are you in Adam, or are you in Christ? This is so important for us this morning, because so often I have found that what people do is when they wanna understand God, they look at the Bible which is the right place to go. We should look at the Bible, God's word, to understand who God is. But then what happens is, is when it comes to understanding ourselves and our identity and who we are, oftentimes we'll look to social sciences, psychology, anthropology, and all these things. You know, you're the firstborn, you're the middle child, you're the youngest, so then that determines certain things about you. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? What's your personality? Are you a ENTP? Or maybe you're just a J-E-R-K. People are spelling it out right now. (laughs) Where are you on the Enneagram scale? Some people are not getting it. Like, I got it. For sure, let me say this. These things can have value. It can help us better know who, who God has made us to be or explain some things about us. But ultimately, none of these things define us. They don't define us. All of this stuff might tell us some things about us, but they don't reveal who we are in Christ. They don't. So what we need to understand today is that the worst place to begin constructing our identity is in ourselves. Bad starting point. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of counseling goes. So we're very careful on who we recommend for counseling for that reason. We don't want to start with us. We want to start with him. Because that's where sure identity is found. That's where true identity is found. That we look to scripture for answers instead of everything else. The best place to start when it comes to our identity is in Christ. And so what this means for us personally, I was thinking about even just myself personally, is we can't make our spouses and our children or anything else in our life the source of our identities. We can't. Yeah, I love Shelly, 21 years. You know, I joke about marriage, but I am so blessed to have had an incredible marriage for 21 years, so grateful. But I also know this, if I put her in the place of God and she becomes the center around which my whole life orbits, she will wind up crushed under the weight of that. Same thing for our kids. If we make our kids our hope and we make them our little image bearers, they will be crushed under that. Yeah. That's not who they are. Yeah. They can't be that in our lives. Our identity has to be in Christ. So let me say this as a spouse my identity has to be in Christ so I can love and serve Shelly rightly. Yeah. Shelly and I's identities have to be in Christ so we can love and serve our kids rightly. That has to be the source for us. And that's for all of us this morning. Either we are in Adam defining our life, our value, our dignity, and our worth in things outside of God. And that could be a lot of things, our careers, our family, our possessions, and that makes us in Adam. Or we can be in Christ, where He defines our life, our values, and our hopes. So the question that we're ending on this morning is what we started with. Are you in Adam, sharing in his defeat? Or are you in Christ, sharing in his victory? If you're in Adam, let me say, you wind up with an identity crisis. But if you're in Christ, you'll have a solid foundation on which to stand and face life. If you're in Adam, you wind up living with a lot of fear and anxiety thinking. If I can just find the right husband, or if I can just find the right wife, if we could just have children, if, we could, if I could just finish college, or if I could just get a job, if we could just buy a house, and, and then we could experience heaven on earth and be blessed. And this is what it looks like, these stresses, anxieties, and worries if you're trying to live in Adam. But instead, if you're in Christ, you can say like Paul, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. I don't know about you, but I want the answer to that secret, right? How to live in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little for I can do everything in Christ, he says, who gives me strength. If you are in Adam, I want you to know your identity will crumble under the weight of putting other things or other people in God's place in your life. You wind up saying, all I wanted is for my spouse to never leave me nor forsake me. But it turns out that's Jesus' job description. I just want my kids to be little trophies that look like me and have my last name and reflect my glory on the earth. They're not to reflect yours, but His. I just wanted my job to provide me an income and security so that I could have all that I think I need or maybe just a little bit more. Is that too much to ask? Problem is, God is meant to supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory, which isn't that so much better And he does that as we live according to his plan. As we close, I want us to understand this morning, good things in God's place will eventually fail. And if I'm honest, I think a lot of people figured that out in the last two years. Good things in God's place, they always fail. They always do. Your spouse, your kids, your job, your beauty, your health, your friends, your church, your pastor, it all eventually crumbles under the weight of can't you just be my God?" And the answer is, no they can't. Nothing can. So when those things crumble in your life, and I don't wanna say if, but when. So often as I talk with people now and they feel like they've got everything together in their lives and they don't need Jesus, I just say, great, so when that stops working for you, come talk to me. I do, because eventually those things crumble. Our, our marriage isn't doing well, we're getting older, I'm not as beautiful as I once was. I put on 10 pounds, our kids are leaving home, our company is downsizing, my church is changing. I thought I had it all together, but now it's all coming apart. And it's when these things that are occurring, these identity crises, this becomes the perfect time to let go of all of our false identities and instead grab hold of the sure identity we have in Christ. So don't worry about those things crumbling, let them go. And grab hold of Jesus more and more and he'll be nearer than you've ever known him. So we want to take the next several months to take a look at what it means to be in Christ. We talked about some of those points today, but the book of Ephesians lays out what it means to be in Christ. Next week, we'll talk about in Christ. You know who we are? We're blessed saints. We're blessed saints. There's so many things, so many good things that we want to cover and talk about because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do and nothing can shake you in this life. So be sure to join us as we get into this. But I want you to walk out knowing today, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you are in Christ. So let me ask one more time. Who are you? Some of you are a little bit slow, but that's all right. It's going to come. You're a child of God in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and you live in His unshakable kingdom. You can walk out with that confidence today and that should be all that you need. I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. But I wanna ask before we close, are you here today? And you realize you're in Adam and not in Christ? Because that's a problem. If this message is unclear about anything, it's not unclear about that. If you're in Adam, things will crumble and fail. If you're in Christ, you can live in his unshakable kingdom. So today, as you realize that maybe you're living in Adam and not in Christ, today you'd say, well, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to be in Christ. So let me say this. I want you to be in Christ. Don't walk out of here, not in a relationship with him, because right now you can make a decision to follow Jesus and become reconnected with your creator. That's God's will for you. So with every head bowed in the room, I just want to have a moment between you and me this morning that gives you that invitation to make that decision maybe you've been living in Adam, things aren't working well, or let me say this, even if things are working well, it doesn't matter. You need to be in Christ. So today you would say, I want to live in Christ. And so I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand that just acknowledges, I want to be in Christ. Because you have to make a decision. You have to come to a point where not only do you have head knowledge about it, but you've made a heart decision for it. And so today, if you're in the room and you would say, I want to be in Christ, I just invite you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave. Who here today would say I want to be in Christ? I want to be in Christ. Over here on the right, anybody else that would say, I want to be in Christ? I want to be in Christ today, I don't want to live in Adam? Over here on the left, anybody else that would say I want to be in Christ? You may have been born into Adam, but you can be born again in Christ. Make that decision today. Who here today would say, that's me. I want to be in Christ today. Let me just pray for a moment. God, we just ask that you meet these individuals who raised their hand, and maybe those that didn't, but you're working on their hearts. I pray they would make that decision today to live in Christ, to be born again in you. Born of the Spirit, your word says. Living as new creation, your word says. Living blessed, because that's who you created us to be. So God, I just pray that you would firm up and strengthen the hearts of those that have made that decision today to live in you I pray God that they would make that decision firmly and fully today that they wouldn't walk away but Jesus that they would live in you make that decision but then journey with others that would encourage them in the same Lord we're a church we are a people not a building Lord we're so thankful that we can gather freely in your name we never take that for granted but God we just pray that you help us to be the church of people who encourages one another toward love and good works Help us God. And so Lord, I just pray these things that you would touch those who said yes to you today in Jesus name. Amen. The music team's going to come and close us in song. Uh, before they do that this morning, maybe you are in Christ but you realize it is it is hard with all of the cultural influences we have to stay firm in that. And so maybe things have been very unsettled for you. Maybe you are today, maybe you have it in your past or maybe you're even worried about some things coming up. And so the second prayer I'd like to pray this morning for you is maybe you you just feel like, man, my life's been a bit chaotic and, and I'm just, I'm struggling this morning. Well, guess what? You're in the right place. And you aren't meant to walk out of here struggling. You should walk out of here strengthened. That's what I want for you today. So again, one more time with heads bowed, I just, a moment between me and you as your pastor, I just want to pray for you today. That if you're here today, and you're living through an identity crisis, your spouse has walked away, your children have left your house, you're, you're in college and trying to create a new identity, and, and you've been having a hard time going through all of these stages, you're a teenager, and you feel like you're on the outside looking in, and, and you just don't know how to really live your life. And you'd say, I'm just, I, I'm facing an identity crisis. Just raise your hand, and let me pray with you before we leave today. Who would say that's me? Who here today says, I'm facing an identity crisis? Yeah, hands all over the room this morning, here in the middle over on the left, over on the right. I'm sure a lot of us, for sure, we've all faced some of that and all that's gone on the last couple of years. So God, I just pray that you would strengthen people in Jesus' name. Not by any other name under heaven can we be strengthened, but in Jesus' name, I just ask that you fill and anoint your people with your spirit. We just declare that we are children of God in whom the spirit of God dwells. And so the same Spirit that raised you from the dead, come and fill us now in Jesus' name. Strengthen your people for your purposes, Jesus. May we not face an identity crisis, but may we be sure in who we are, made in your image, in your likeness, made for good works, blessed by you in Jesus' name. So God, strengthen your people today as we sing in Christ alone. I pray, Jesus, that we remember it truly is in you alone and nothing else. So, God, may we not just sing it, may we declare it today as we close. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.